St. Athanasius once wrote, For the Son of God became man, so we might become God. What do those words mean, and how do they affect the Christian's pursuit of holiness? Join us today as we answer those questions and more with today's guest, Father David McConey, Professor of Early Christian History at St. Louis University. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, today we'll be talking about Call to be Children of God. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Joined by our regular panelist here, uh, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology at Franciscan University. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And our special guest is Father David McConey. Uh, Father, you're a priest of the Society of Jesus. You uh, have an MA in Ancient Philosophy and MA in Systematic Theology uh, from Marquette, an STL in Greek and Latin Petrology from the University of Innsbruck, a uh, doctorate in philosophy from Ecclesi and ecclesial history uh, from Oxford. Uh, you're an assistant professor of theology at the University of St. Louis, uh, specializing in early uh, Christianity. Um, you're an author of four books. A fifth is on the way. Uh, one of them is uh, The One Christ, St. Augustine's Theology of Deification. And also the new book is uh, Called to be Children of God, which is really the topic of, uh, of our show today. Exactly. So I, I welcome you to the program. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Well, uh, I, I shared in the opening the, the quote from St. Augustine, for, for God became man uh, so that man might become God. Um, why, according to sacred uh, scripture, uh, did the Word become flesh? Well, the Catechism gives four reasons why the Word became flesh. The first is reconciliation, to reconcile sinners with the Father. The second is that we might know God's love, which I find intriguing, right? Mm. That we have to know love by seeing it first, right? That love is not a feeling or an emotion. Love is ultimately a person. And we only have in our intellects what we receive in our senses. So by becoming flesh, we actually see and taste and hear love. Mm. Uh, the third reason is that um, we might have a model of holiness. And then the fourth, paragraph 460 of the Catechism, is that line from Athanasius, but it's also found in Augustine, that's the basis of the book, that God became human so we could become more like God, that we would, without Christ, not be able to enjoy immortality, incorruptibility, love and wisdom. All those otherwise divine attributes are now available to us in Christ's humanity. Yeah, so that, that last part is really the, the crux for our show today. It's the crux of Christianity. It's right. everything. Right. So, so if it comes down to that, how do we uh, share in or, or partake in the divine nature? That's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a big, big topic. Well, that's like you know, in, in answering these questions, you don't leave much for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. We're over. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is, the, this is the classical passage, 2 Peter 1.4, right? That we might become partakers of God's nature. Yeah. And that's what deification means, that we receive God's life, and through His agency, we can become new creatures. Mm -hmm. St. Augustine begins his work on the Trinity. He says, if you're going to understand this mystery of the Trinity, you have to become ultra-hominess. You have to become right. more than human. Right. right. And that's exactly what Christianity is. I think we have to recognize that it's more than ethical. You know, it's more than moral behavior. It's more than virtue. Yeah. And so when we read a passage like 2 Peter 1, 4, 
we're almost tempted to think, well, this is hyperbolic. You know, That's it's right. exaggerated. That's Partakers right. of the divine nature means, you know, elevated so that in some ways we're like God. But to be called children of God, as 1 John 3 reminds us, so we are. You know, well, the, and this is the gospel. The end of mere Christianity, Lewis says, Christianity isn't teaching a horse how to run faster, it's teaching a horse how to fly. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, not yeah, just yeah. an ethical It's, it's a leap right off the page. That's uh, right. Two, two quick points. Uh, we don't possess divinity, that's but right. we partake of it. Big Otherwise, difference. we end up in Mormonism. That's what I was That, that yeah. distinction is or pretty, paganism. pretty important. You become your own deity. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's tempting sometimes. <laughs> I, I could run my house better if I were God. <laughs> but, but the other point, uh, when, when you cited the reasons why Christ came, uh, at, at the top of the list was to reconcile the world. Right. Well, well, suppose the world hadn't fallen. Would he have come anyway? I, I don't know if Augustine speculates about that, but Don Scotus does. Sure. Yeah. And, and maybe you could. Well, I think one of the reasons the fathers are different than the medieval theologians, they don't really deal with a lot of counterfactuals, the what ifs. Yeah. They're dealing, engaged <laughs> in a yeah. pagan society, and they're just trying to defend the faith. The medievals have a Christendom structure and a They've got some net. leisure. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 But I certainly think Augustine would hold that Christ would become. Now, it, it would be without the cross, it would be without the rejection. Right. But I mean, if, if he's motivated primarily by love, then for heaven's sake, we have to see the beloved. Right. Right. That's precisely what love wants to do, draw near to the beloved. So I think the Son of God would become human. Yeah, I can't imagine Augustine treating the incarnation and our deification as plan B. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's provisional. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. that's right. Yeah, so, so as we're, we're talking about this, we've got a, a big, big idea here that sometimes doesn't get really touched on very much. I mean, it, it, we, or we gloss over it. You know, we, we think it's, as you said, it's teaching a horse to run faster, as Lewis, yeah. uh, I think, said. But, but I mean, it really is something substantially different. And um, how can men, how do we do that? How do we become like God? How does that, I mean, it's still just kind of wrap my mind around well, your first point is it is hardly anything anybody preaches about. It's hardly anything that's in the common Christian discourse today, yeah, this yeah. deification, becoming like God, because it is open to such, I think, crazy interpretations. But how it is achieved, I mean, just look at the liturgy, right? This is precisely why we pray. We, I mean, the phenomenon is that you become like the people with whom you spend time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's why we weren't allowed to play with the Han children growing up. No. Uh, but, right? Because and as parents, you know that. Your kids are going to become like those with whom they hang out. Sure. And so every act of prayer, every act of worship, every act throughout the day is raising your mind and intellect to Christ. You ultimately want to become like Him. So each, and that's what the incarnation right, is about. Each, he became like you. Right. Every time you go to Holy Communion, you should exactly. approximate more nearly mm -hmm. the Christ whom you consume. That's right. So it's not merely ethical, but it's also not merely sacramental. It's all rooted in the incarnation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He takes what is ours to give us what is his. And that exchange is not a legal fiction. That's right. It's an actual mystery, but a, a mystical participation. I, I think we have to step back and underscore the fact that, you know, not only is this not preached about, but it wasn't taught all that widely. Right. When you look back in the last two centuries or so, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking to me how much it's in the catechism. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, or in the divine the office, liturgy of the hours, it's everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I wouldn't want to say that this is a post-conciliar development, that this is, was all there in Vatican II, because before Vatican II, you know, mm -hmm. you could actually go back in the 19th century and find all of the roots that bear the fruits, you know, over the years. But uh, you know, when I was uh, a non-Catholic, when I was becoming Catholic, you know, and ever, whatever deification or divinization came up, it was always, you know, one or the other. It was either Mormonism, in which case mm -hmm. it's, it's heresy, it's, re it's really rooted in the idea that there is no infinite God, there are only finite gods, and why not become one of them, or Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah. Orthodoxy was always the one who said, you know, we emphasize this. 
But in the process of appropriating the living tradition as a new Catholic, I discovered that this is, this is mainstream Catholicism as well. Right. You point this out in your book on Augustine, The One Christ. I mean, it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just counterintuitive. It is against the whole of, of, of conversation and theology that it was there in the West as well as the East, the Latin fathers as well as the Greek fathers. And it really is one of the greatest retrievals or rediscoveries in the last century or so. It really is, in the last this 10 years. This is the years. heart of the gospel. Yeah. This isn't peripheral. You know, and this isn't just you know, uh, a metaphor. This is really what it means that the Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that sons of men become sons of God. That's right, yeah. Athanasius. That's, uh, and, if, and if we really come down to it, I mean, the reality is, is that just God becoming man is sufficient enough and, and, and scandalous enough. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. beyond our ability. To read, but that he would even not just stoop down, but he would actually um, divinitize or, you know, bring us up in that, our humanity, uh, when he became... Well, those, well you those know, this semester I'm at Villanova University at the Augustine Institute, so I flew in last night and stayed at the friary with the, the TORs. Uh-huh. And this morning at breakfast early on, I'm getting coffee and somebody says, who are you? I says, oh, I'm, I'm Dave McConey, I'm a Jesuit, and uh, I'm here to do a talk on deification. And one of the friars says, God became human. That's amazing, but a Jesuit became Pope. <laughs> so, this is the kind of banter you get at 6 a.m. in a That's friary. Yeah. Yeah, All miracles uh, never cease. Yeah. But see, this is the part of Christianity that doesn't get emphasized. God became human, and all Christians believe that. But we have the ancient sources to say, yeah, but the other half is that you now can become like God. Right, right. You don't have to give in to your fallen biological instincts and your impulses. You can actually be spiritualized well, in such a way that you are loving and merciful. Right. And is it possible that we don't preach so much about this theme because we, we dare not practice? it because it, it's too daunting, too demanding, and we settle for a kind of minimalistic yeah. uh, Christianity, I once gave which a, reduces to moralism. I once gave a talk on deification uh, at Hope College, a bunch yeah. of Calvinists up in Michigan. Actually, um, I was an undergraduate student, and one of the professors there said, I don't like deification. It makes me responsible. It makes me yeah. responsible yeah. to continue yeah. Christ's life in the world. And it is daunting because there is a certain call. You know, there, there is an element here, an ingredient in the recipe that is, I think, in some ways the most mystifying and also the, the most difficult, and that is suffering. Mm. Because theosis comes by way of kenosis. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're deified only because of Christ's self-emptying. And, and again, that is not just, you know, doing it so that we don't have to. Christ did it so that we could. He does it as a representative, but we must participate yeah. in that. And so as we move from theory to practice, we recognize that cruciformity, conformity to Christ, and all of that good theological language that I would love to stay stuck in means getting up and carrying a cross that you didn't necessarily choose every day. Yeah. And this idea of self-emptying, redemptive suffering, I mean, this really is at the heart of the Catholic faith, but the only thing that makes total sense out of redemptive suffering is the goal, the purpose for mm-hmm. that. It really is deification. Well, the goal of the Christian life, Augustine says, is in the end, there'll be one Christ loving himself. And it begins now Mm -hmm. that we are actually called to continue Christ's life as Christians. Because nobody will know Jesus if we don't yeah. Wow. Uh, Chester, Preach his words, right? Yeah. And live his yeah, I, I was struck by this because you spent the night with the Franciscans, and it reminded me of, of Chesterton's wonderful biography of St. Francis, where he says, Francis did not love Christianity. He loved Christ. Right. And that's wonderfully Augustinian, mm-hmm. this notion of the totus Christus. Yeah. Uh, we become Christ. We don't the become Christ. Christian. Well, he has a great line. He says, rejoice and be glad, for you have been made not a Christian. You have been made Christ. Right. right. I mean, that identification Wait. is pretty startling. Stop, stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of those things like deification that is almost sort of like, what did they say? What are they talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, theosis, that was one thing. 
you know, deification, but totus Christus. I mean, the idea that we're the whole Christ. I mean, Augustine is the one who really brought that into the mainstream, but he's really taking it from St. Paul and St. John. Mm -hmm. The idea that we are in Christ and the right. emphasis on in Christ that pervades all of the epistles. Right. What's the vine and the branches, right? John yeah, exactly. Right. And you've written beautifully on nuptial union, and that's precisely the incarnation as Augustine understands it, that he weds himself to us. And as two people grow in love, you start to see your own worth and your own weal and woe in the other, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, again, it, Lewis quotes Charles Williams in a letter. He says to his beloved, he says, love you, I am you. Yeah. 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 And this is what Matthew 25 is all about, right? That whatever you do, the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me, or Acts 9, right? But, Saul, but you, Saul, I mean, you, why do you, you have to me, not right, my Christians? But, oh yeah. but you have to preserve the analogy of, uh, of, of being. I mean, I mean, Williams also says, this also is thou, but neither is this thou. I mean, I don't literally become Christ. I no, don't that's right. possess Christ right. in that sense, but right. I partake, I share, mm -hmm. I participate. I, I think you said always adjectival. Adjectival, This yeah. uh, resemblance. Yeah. And see, and some people fear then that I will lose myself, but because we're made in the image and likeness of God, the more we become like God, the truer we are who right. we're meant to be. Yeah. Right? And anybody who's ever done something evil knows that. When you commit evil, you feel less than who you are. You yep. become imprisoned. You have to watch out because I just told a lie. Or, but when you do something good, you feel alive and whole, and that's exactly well, what Well, this is doing. sort of the secret that we have to share with the world, that yeah. when, you, when you practice justice and chastity and generosity, it, it makes you feel better. <laughs> you become a better person. Right. Well, and, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but the whole idea that it changes our responsibility mm -hmm. and, and our reaction where before, like in, in the, the Old Testament, the, the Jews had the, the, the rules, the prescriptions of things that they must do, right. but now it's a whole different law. Sure. It's a whole different sure. rule of life when we are not simply slaves or we're not simply people who follow a rule or right. a book. We're, we're, we're supposed to partake in a life. I have the three S's. I say we can follow Jesus because we're slaves because we don't want to get punished, mm -hmm. or because we're soldiers, we want the payoff at the end, the mercenary attitude, or because we're sons and daughters, yeah. right? And so the actions may look the same, but the motivation and, and the love is totally different. You know, right? the, the ironic thing about that 3S thing, though, is this, that the son is going to end up from love out-serving the mere servant and out-fighting the mere soldier, the yeah. mercenary. Yeah. Of course. Right. You know, and so it isn't getting us off. It's putting us on the cross in a way that no soldier or slave would ever do. That's right. you know, until sons outserve mere servants, we're not going to experience deification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's Athanasius' reason for the reconciliation, that first reason that God became human, that the Father promised creatures two things in the garden, that you will be like me, you'll live forever, and if you sin, death will enter the world. And we know what happened next, right? Yeah, right? And so Athanasius depicts the son looking up to the father saying, let me go die. That yeah. way death will enter the world and they can live forever, but it won't be their death, it'll be mine. Mm -hmm. And so the death of Christ is ultimately not a bloodthirsty father, but it's a son who loves his dad so much, he's willing to lay his life down so his father's not a liar. That's crucial. You know, when, when the serpent says, you shall become like God, a lot of it's people assume temptation. that, well, you know, the, the desire to be like God originates with Satan. No, it originates with the Father. Yeah. He made us in His image and likeness. I mean, God wants us to become like Him more than the serpent ever did. Well, Augustine's the first one to point out that that's the only temptation Satan could have used in the garden, because on the natural level, Adam and Eve had everything. Right. The right. one thing they still lacked was that total deifying union. And Satan's a fallen angel, right? His intellect's right. better than ours. And he knew the one thing he could have used. He couldn't have said, you know, I'll give you 
sweeter kiwi and faster cheetahs or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. They had everything perfect. Well, you remind us, I think, uh, quite eloquently of that sense of incompleteness. Thank you. That Augustine yeah. I want to remind you of the incarnation. In the human <laughs> condition, yeah. We're not quite there. That's We're right. on the way, but not yet. Right. Yeah. Um, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents as we go deeper into our divine adoption. For this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. St. Irenaeus. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. the only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in His divinity, assumed our nature, so that He, made man, might make men gods. St. Thomas Aquinas. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about deification, uh, be being called to become uh, children of God. We're talking to Father David McConey, who's got a great book, The One Christ, St. Augustine's Theology of Deification. You want to pick up a copy of this? Uh, whether you read it or not, you said That's earlier, right. it's Just a great it. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been talking about uh, how we are called to be children of God. Um, so, so let's unpack what divine adoption really is. Mm, yeah, well adoption's Paul's way of understanding deification. That's I think right. it's just one way of getting into this. Yes. And it's the fact that, well, in Jesus of Nazareth, volume one, Pope Benedict says, all of Christianity can be summed up in one word. And I'm a slow reader, so I put my hand over that word and I thought, it's gonna be charity, of course. It was Father. Hmm. That our faith is not so much a religion as it is a relationship, right? It's yeah. not about the law, it's, not, it's about entering into a new family and that the father was not content having one son. Yeah. He wanted billions of sons and daughters. Yeah. And, you know, we say that every Sunday. Yeah. I believe in Jesus Christ, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Right. The fathers at Nicaea knew there were two ways to be a child of God. There was one who's begotten divine, yeah. but then there are others who are made divine. And that's exactly what the grace of Christ's life gives us. Yeah. The fact that we can now live no longer as merely human, but yeah. this as is something. Saints. This is something that cannot possibly happen naturally. It can no. only happen supernaturally yeah. because we are made, not begotten. He is begotten, not made. So he is a son by nature. That's right. We're creatures by nature, and you know, slaves yeah. at best. And we'll always be creatures. Yeah, so for divine adoption to take place, I know I could be entering into a controversial field here, you know, but you, you know, I, I couldn't adopt Sparky, my little dog, when I grew right. up, although I preferred him at times to my brother Fritz. You know, <laughs> and the fact is, you know, you can only adopt a creature by making it so that it shares the same nature. So you can adopt humans, you can only adopt a dog if somehow you metaphysically transform that creature right. into a human. And so what the incarnation effects, you know, is really clear by this point then, that it is the principle that makes possible our divine adoption. Exactly, and the freeing thing about adoption is, you are a member of the family, not out of what you have done or accomplished right. or your right. merits, because yeah. the love of the parents, right? right. Yeah. I have three sisters, all who have adopted children, and if you went into their house, you couldn't tell their naturally born children from their, their adopted children, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
the Korean and the African-American might give it away a bit, but um, you know, they might look different, but the fact is my sisters and their husbands have loved these kids to the same right. level. Right. Now, wouldn't our lives change if we believe that God the Father loved us just as much right. as he loves his son, Jesus right. Christ? The DNA may be different, yeah. but the love that he has. And, 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 but the distinction, I think, is worth uh, upholding, that we're, we're made children of the Father by dint of uh, grace, That's right. not by dint of nature. It's a courtesy right. extended it's a gift. to it's us. It's all gift. But, yeah, it's but at the end of the day, we're indistinguishable, as it were, from the real son. Yeah. Uh, we cleave to this son, which is the right. great word that unlocks the mystery of faith That's for right. St. Augustine. This adherence to Christ uh, That's right. is so profound. Because who, to whom you ever adhere, you become like the person. Right. And you right. see that in lovers. They become yeah. like each other. Your yeah. kids have probably said, oh, you and your mom are all like, right? Right. right. Or We're even with dog on owners, the same you start page. seeing it with dog owners. Right. They start, start looking like their right. dog. Same haircut, same sweaters. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, doesn't Augustine say, love is my gravitation, where it right. goes, I too must follow. You resemble that which you love. In well, the second century, there's a thing called the Odes of Solomon, and one of them says, look into the face of Christ and see who you are. Yeah. Oh, that he's beautiful. the mirror of the Christian right. life. It's not your actions or achievements, it's ultimately Christ. Yeah. And this is where Augustine, I think, really shines against the Pelagians. He says, look, you're saying I'm taking away free will. At the end of the day, what would you rather hang your eternal hat on? The grace of Christ or your own accomplishments? Right, right. yeah. Right. So adoption flows from that. So, so uh, talk to me a little bit more about uh, what this says, uh, divine adoption, about God and his nature and, and our nature. I mean, that's just, it, it seems that it has a great impact on on what we understand God to be and what we are called to be. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it points us to the nature of love, right? Yeah. Love always wants to unify and invite. Yes. Yes. And we see that in the life of Christ supremely. He never forces himself. He's always inviting. He's always wanting to draw close, right. but he's also offering us the invitation. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. who God is, a gentle, tremendous lover. Well, if, if love is diffusive of itself, then it somehow wants to spread out yeah. and, and radiate out from this center. I, I was really struck by what you, you, you cited from Pope Benedict's book on, mm. on Jesus of Nazareth, that it, it's the Father. Jesus yeah. introduces us to the Father, to this right. family. And when the disciples ask him, look, can you teach us how to pray? That's the prayer he invents. Right. And think of the words, our Father. Yep. That on yes. the natural level, none of those are I, true, right? None right. of us say our, we say yep. I or my, but yep. as Christians, we're members of a body. Right. And right. Father, you know, most of our fathers are Jack or Gino or Jerry. Yeah. But as Christians, our Father is ultimately the first person of the Trinity. Our mother, by extension, is Mary. The saints are our siblings now. Yes. It's a new yeah. family, a new yeah. adoption. It's, it's unusual. It's strange how this has become like the wallpaper. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's just background Back, noise. Yeah. Uh, we, we take it for granted. You know, I believe in God the Father. You know, but you know when Jesus speaks that way, when he prayed that way, you know, it got him a lot of trouble. And mm -hmm. first, you know, in John five. This is why they sought all the more to kill him, because he not only healed on the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, thus making himself equal to God. Yeah. We're like, what are you talking about? I mean, That's but right. not even the most devout rabbi ever dared to address the deity, the God of Israel, as Abba, Father. Father. You know? And so, in the first sermon he preaches there in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he refers to God as Father 17 times. Mm. In the whole Hebrew Bible, there are 11 references to God as Father, right. you know, and they're mostly metaphorical. So he's introducing a revolutionary relationship that just, you know, 2,000 years later, we ought to be a whole lot more shocked than we are. And if you go up to John 10, this is where he links 
his sonship with our being called gods, yes. quoting Psalm 81, right? Yeah. You're so amazed that I'm calling myself son of God? Right. Doesn't your own scripture say you are it, You know, it is curious right. that the enemies of Christianity find it more shocking than we do, like <laughs> right. the adherents of Islam. They're horrified by this. I mean, to call God Father yeah. is really blasphemous. Yeah. Or you look at medieval kingdoms, would Marsilius of Padua, for example, outlawed any kind of language of deification because it would take away his temporal authority. Uh-huh. That none of us belong to this world. Right. Right. And so leaders have a hard time. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And there was something, and I'll get the quote wrong, but just reading Cantula Mesa, Father Cantula Mesa recently, talking about we don't believe in Christ because of the authority of the church, but rather we believe in the church and its authority because we know Jesus Christ, That's the right. person of Christ. And right. when we know him, then we know that he not only took on flesh, but invited us into that family and adopted us. I mean, that, th- those, those principles we sometimes put backwards. We teach moral laws and we teach all these things without introducing people to the person of Christ and that we are now called into sonship. But Rakantala Mesa's writings are so beautiful and his preaching is so effective is exactly what he said, he's adopted us. That to know Christ is also inevitably to know his people. Mm. And when I was going through my kind of Catholic reversion, I was feeling guilty for almost loving the body more than the head. Mm. I was falling in love with the Catholic Church and mm. I thought maybe I should join the priest and join the society so people had a preacher and a priest and and I started to realize that no that's exactly where Christ calls us yes. to understand that he now dwells in his people and and that has a huge impact then for our moral life what what's 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 that kind of playing this out uh, now then we look at, at the moral code, the moral life, if you will, how we are called to live because we are adopted sons. That's right. Yeah, I mean, this, this, is, this is a whole different way of looking at our brothers and sisters, the Matthew uh, 25 that you talked about. You know, where do we go with that? How, mm-hmm. what, what's some of the impacts? Uh, huh, the first word I would think of is gratitude. Yeah. I mean, you've raised children, right? I mean, there's a great moment in your child's life, I imagine, when he or she starts to realize that this home, this food, this warmth has been given to me. And they start to say thank you, and they start to ask, what could I do to help you? And that's exactly what a mature Christian yeah, does I mean, to that the is, That's the taproot, gratitude, yeah. thanksgiving, Eucharistia. Mm-hmm. And then from that flows, you know, not being dispensed from keeping the commandments like they did in the Old Testament, but keeping them out of love, out of faith, you know. And then likewise, you know, the sacraments themselves are the things that cause us to share in this divine life and renew it and restore it if we lose it through mortal sin. So the, the sacraments and the moral life become absolutely inseparably united. Yeah. You know, and in the process, I think we, we, we also grow old and like Augustine, we recognize we need grace now more than we did when we were young <laughs> yeah. and didn't think we needed it that much. Yeah. And, and I think it, the very process of growing older and weaker and getting sick and facing death, the cross transforms that you oh. know, in, in an absolute and total way because again, the mystery of redemptive suffering shows us that he doesn't allow us to suffer in spite of his love. He calls us to suffer because of a love that goes beyond anything we're capable of. And any lover knows that, that you would rather be at your beloved's bedside when he or she is dying than any beautiful place in the world because love just draws you to that person. And again, it's about relationship, right? It's not about place or time or rules. It's about entering into that living relationship. You you had one quote uh, in in the piece that we read that uh, really struck me. Uh, Augustine says that he shudders when he thinks how unlike yeah, he is in the to Christ, mm-hmm. but that he uh, is on fire with fire. desire yes. and longing when he considers how like Christ he is. So mm-hmm. there is this tension mm. that, that continues and is wonderfully creative. Uh, c- could you speak about that for a moment? Uh, where that's going? What, where that's what that going means? 
Well, I think Augustine, more than almost any saint, understood how fragile his life yeah. teetered yeah. between making himself a god and allowing the true god to yeah. have his life and to be claimed by him. Yeah. And so he There's really, a, I, I, I remember uh, reading Peter Brown's biography yeah. of, of St. Augustine, really a, a wonderful uh, treatment of, of the saint. And, and he says that uh, Augustine had this notion of his congregation, that they were sort of precariously perched inside a hospital, that they were convalescents. Right. They were sort of like the wounded guy right. that was rescued on the side of the road by the Good Samaritan. They had to remain in this state until the very end. They could never take for granted the fact that they could slip back mm -hmm. into squalor and right. sin. And, and, and that, that really struck me. That, that he cared that much. He had this wonderful paternal, pastoral sense for these people, that he had to make provision for them. And then it struck me, Augustine was like that too. Right. He was always sort of on the edge. Yeah. I mean, he was never quite there. It, you know, it's not over until the fat lady gets up and sings. <laughs> well, for Augustine, she hadn't gotten up yet for a long time. Well, I mean, in this case, the, the, the very surgeons are also patients. I mean, <laughs> he would have enrolled himself in that hospital first before anybody right. else. Yeah, a wounded surgeon. And these are one of the lines that Pope Francis is known for now, yeah, right? The right. church is a hospital. That right, we're a field about. hospital. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a mash unit? Or? Yeah, more like a mash unit. <laughs> you know, Augustine's Catholics were outnumbered in the city of Hippo. It was always a town of about 30,000, but there were more Donatists, the Catholics who split off, and more pagans than there were Catholics. And in fact, he could hear the Donatists sing from where he was. Is that right? And yeah. the Donatists were these Christians, of course, who thought they were purified and weren't right. sinful. Right. And he, Augustine mocks him at one point. He says, the reason more people like to go to their church is because they get out quicker. Because <laughs> during the Our Father, they don't have to pray, forgive us our sins. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a great sense of humor, and he really did look out for his flock. In fact, many times he'll start homilies by saying, oh, my little grains, and he'll preach on the Eucharist. Or he'll say, my little lovers, and he'll preach about charity. Mm. He's always using homilies, and he knew people. And there are moments where in his homilies, people, he'll say, oh, I see you like that. They must have clapped or something. Right, but he really knew them intimately. Well, he, he really must have felt sandwiched between two forces because he's got the Donatists, uh, yeah. the schismatics on one side, and pretty soon he's got the Vandals uh, who have invaded uh, right. North Africa and the whole empire topples. Right. And he lives in the midst of this age and an age of, of collapsing uh, standards and powers. Uh, and I mean, the whole city of God reflects uh, this instability. That's right. It must have been pretty exciting. It was, it was. I mean, when, when Rome was sacked in 410, most of the wealthy families from Rome came down to Hippo because it was a port town right on the North African yeah. coast. Yeah. And Augustine's fairly nonplussed by this. He says, look, governments fall, they come and go, <laughs> but we're made for something more. And I think our politicians could learn a lot from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, say. in one way, it's nice to have a friend in the White House, but ultimately, so what? You know, the Donatists, you know, Augustine said in one of his sermons that, uh, you know, if you go to the Donatist churches, you know, you're going to get better preaching sometimes and louder <laughs> singing, you know, and bigger crowds and this sort of thing. But you're not going to get Jesus in the Eucharist. That's you're right. not going to get that salvation right. that comes from being in the, the family of God. And I, and I remember reading that at that point when I was transitioning from one to the other and just recognizing that, oh boy, these congregations that I'm leaving behind, they do have better singing, better mm -hmm. preaching, you know, but they don't have the one thing without which I cannot become a child of God. How it, things it, change, some things stay the same. Yeah. You know? well, if you read Augustine's commentary on 1 John, are these, these homilies against the Donatists, where he says the one thing the Donatists don't really have is the Holy Spirit, because yeah. the Spirit is a spirit of unity. Yeah. Right. And, and, they and the Spirit is trying to themselves unity. off. Right. Charity. I mean, they, they exclude everybody. So when you fall, you, know, you, you lapse, uh, then you've got to get rebaptized. Yeah, right. And start over. Yeah. That's, pretty, that's pretty pessimistic. 
So th this really is everything. This is the crux uh, of really Christ's call is charity, the divine adoption, love bring adoption. us into the yeah. uh, charity of Christ. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Let's go a little deeper on this subject and look at prayer and the life uh, of the liturgy in the sense of, of divine adoption. Stay with us. In thus allowing God to work in it, the soul is at once illumined and transformed in God, and God communicates to it his supernatural being in such wise that it appears to be God himself and has all that God himself has. St. John of the Cross. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, we're being taped right now in Franciscan University studios. Uh, our students are operating the camera and the equipment. Our regular panelists are professors of theology here at Franciscan University. Uh, Father, we've been talking about deification. Uh, we've talked a little bit just to kind of unpack it and look at divine adoption, uh, but let's talk about it now in, in the life of the church and sure. in, in the liturgy. Uh, help me think through and, and walk us through a little bit what deification means uh, in a, kind of the, the prayer of the church. How is it expressed in our liturgy? Well, if you think of liturgy, right, that at Mass we pray to the Father. Well, who can call God Father except children, right? Mm. So right from the get-go, we are taking the place of Christ, that He is the one who is unifying us in the Spirit to the Father, right? And then we have, oh, little lines throughout the liturgy. By the mystery of this water and wine, we come to share in the divinity of Christ mm. who humbled yeah. Himself to share right. in our humanity. You don't hear that, but that's what the priest yeah. says when he adds <laughs> the water to the wine. Right. Uh, we receive Holy Communion, which we become what we eat, right, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're dismissed as Christians to glorify God with our lives. And so really a one-way mass is the deifying agent. It's the way that adoption papers get signed. Yeah. Right. We are brought yeah. into yeah, I like this. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we obviously were adopted uh, formally at our baptism, baptism. Um, but yeah. then, then the ongoing sustaining life of God right. within us is, is the know, Sunday liturgy probably. One of the best baptismal homilies is Augustine's Sermon 272, mm -hmm. where he says, how do we make bread? You take wheat, you, you crush it, you add water, and then you bake it. And you know what we're going to do to this child right now? We're going to crush him. We're going <laughs> to exercise him so he's no longer himself. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell within him. Yeah. Then we're going to add water to him, and then we're going to bake him with the chrism oil. Yeah. Right? Right. He's going to become Eucharist for the world. Yeah. And baptism and Eucharist have to go together. And we have Catholics, we have the Sacrament of Confirmation, which seals that definitively. Yeah. And that's precisely our uh, life. That's rich. And, and most people powerful. go to Mass simply to watch, right? But right. in that same homily, Augustine says, look, you know what's being celebrated on this altar? the mystery of your life. So when you receive Holy Communion, say amen to what you are. What does the priest or deacon or the Eucharistic minister say? Body of Christ. And you're saying amen to who you right. are. You are the body of Christ. Right. And this is where our dignity and I think joy and excitement, the drama of the Christian life plays out. Right. You are called to become You don't world. hear homilies like that very often. Well, you do in my parish. Is it St. Augustine's parish? Yeah, right, right. A lot of Augustine. Yeah. Uh, Pope Benedict, when he describes baptism, uh, uh, says that it's the final mutation. 
in mm. the evolution of the human species. And, and it must be that if you become a son yeah. of, of the Father. It's very Tehardian, well, isn't it? Pope Benedict also refers to nuclear fission, you know, the transformation of mm. not only of, 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 of bread and wine into Christ, but of sinners and right. saints as right. well. Yeah. Slaves in the children. But see, that fission is when we get our souls split open and the Holy Spirit personally dwells within us because that's the one thing I don't think any of us really believe that we have been claimed and made a temple of God. Yeah. That the Holy Spirit never leaves us after baptism. Yeah. Because that's the one thing, if you think of the temptations of Christ in the desert, right? Satan's smart again. He knows how to tempt us. You'll be like God's. And how does he go after Jesus? If you are the Son of God. Yeah. He knows where to strike. And none of us really believe that we're beloved that much, infinitely so. And that's how right. he tempts, I think, right. all of us. And so liturgy is an antidote to that, to realize that you have been called into this new family right. and the Father wants to feed you not just with a thing, but with his very Son's right. body and right. blood. Yeah. You know, whenever we touch upon the principle of deification, I'm always reminded of the need to go back and emphasize analogy. Hmm. You know, in hmm. the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215, the similarities between God and his creatures are, you know, the dissimilarities are immeasurably yeah. greater. And that's important to emphasize, you know, because uh, the, the highest angel is more like a speck of dust than he is the Almighty. Right. Uh, and yet this unbridgeable chasm that we cannot possibly pass over is precisely what the incarnation bridges the forest. Yeah. Yeah. So our limitations don't limit God. Uh, God's unlimited love. But at the same time, we have to recognize that the, the, the love of God and that love we share is similar, and yet it's also dissimilar because, you know, we love to be loved and love, and yet we, we do it in a finite way because we're creatures. Whereas in the mystery of the Trinity, there's a principle of love that is like our love, but more unlike our love because it's self-emptying. You know, what, what you see on the cross is sort of like a, a human manifestation of what goes on within eternity yeah. all the time. Right, you know, right. Apart yeah. from time. Yeah. You know, Augustine's the one that invented the term subsistent relationship, that the persons of the Trinity are more dependent on each other to be who they are as persons right. than right. we are. That's the Father incredible. is 100% dependent on the Son. So think right. of it this way. When Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, most of us, especially Americans, think of perfection in terms of autonomy or aloofness. Right. Yeah. But maybe he's saying, become more vulnerable, more dependent on each other. Right? And I think of that. I mean, that's, that, that's, that love huh. is a need. God is not an eternal creator because the creation is not eternal. That's right. But he is an eternal father. So he's eternally fathering. That's why the son isn't younger or smaller. Right. You know, right. But it shows us why the father is absolutely and radically dependent upon the son. He's eternally dependent on the son and the that's son right. on Christ him and the spirit. Right. And the right. son is God from God, light from light, et cetera, et cetera, precisely because the act of fathering is so perfect, but the paternal act is self-donation. Right. That he's giving his totally divinity. Totally so, right? Totally. Holy you didn't change back. essentially after you had your children, right? We humans have an autonomy right. to ourselves right. that we might think is a good thing, but actually it's not. Right. We have to overcome that through the grace of Christ by making ourselves gift. Right. Yeah. right? Gaudium et Spes 24, Vatican II says, the human person is the only creature God willed for his or her own sake. Isn't that beautiful? God simply wanted to share his life. Therefore, we're the only creatures who become fully ourselves through a sincere gift of self. This implies that the good news is much better than we thought. You know, I think most of the time we hear gospel and we think we're pardoned, we're forgiven. You know, that's well, that's true, yeah. that's true in Islam. I mean, they're, they're pardoned, they're <laughs> forgiven yeah. by Allah. Right. But I mean, to think that we're adopted and that we're deified, in some ways, the good news, it's like the gospel on steroids. It's, it's better than we could possibly imagine. And yet, when you recognize that the love to which we must be conformed is the cross and is in the Godhead, you know, the new wine of divinity poured into the old skins of our humanity are gonna cause us to burst. Right. And so in some ways, the good news is also worse and harder than we thought, Right. because whoa, you but know, the good news is, is the hardness has already been done for us through that's Christ, right. and we simply have to and appropriate that. He's that. It, it, but it, it's the disproportion that, that I find so startling. Uh, a couple drops of yes. water affects right. this transformation. Yeah. 
that yeah. we've been speaking of. It all begins at baptism. When, when my daughter was baptized in Rome, uh, we, we had met this lovely Irish priest who said, look, we have this custom uh, in the old country that as soon as the child is baptized, everybody comes up and genuflects in front of her because right. she's quite literally a temple of God. And her angel can see through her the face of God. I mean, later on it gets <laughs> well, we use the seeing. phrase Alter Christus for a priest, but you know, Alter Christus was originally part of a Roman baptismal formula that we mm. are baptized as other Christs. Oh, right? I see. Yeah. And this is the liturgy that you say we're forgiven and then that all people of faith are forgiven. Purgation is just the beginning, right? Origen is the first to give us the threefold step of the spiritual life purgation, illumination, and union. Yeah. Right? It begins by getting the weeds out of the garden. Right, right. And then we plant, and then we become one. And that's exactly what we start with the penitential rite at Mass. Right. We have the illumination of the gospel, and every now and then a good homily. Yeah. And then we have the Holy the Communion, unity. in which we become right, one with Christ. Right. Yeah, most of us, I think, unfortunately, are still stuck at the at purgative, or we, we don't even think right. about life as, as, as in, in spiritual terms. That's right. And we see ourselves through our own eyes sometimes and see our fallen nature and see our faults, but we don't see ourselves often through the eyes of the Father. See, as long as your eyes are on you, you're always going to feel unloved, right? That's right. right. Yeah. And this right. is the problem with bad catechesis, and thank God Steubenville has this catechetical program. If we understand who the Father is, we understand that He's pure love, and therefore every response to His creatures is one of love. We simply have to allow Him to be. Right. I mean, yeah. if we are adopted children and God loves His naturally born son just as much as He loves His adopted sons and daughters, yeah. the difference isn't with God's love for us, it's how much we allow that love to penetrate right. and transform our lives. Right. 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 On a good day, I'm about 3% open to the Father's <laughs> love. Right? Where from the moment of her conception, Mary's 100% open, and that's the right. difference between yeah. the saints no and, impediment. and me. Right. Right. So, so what, what, is, what are some kind of tips or thoughts that, that a catechist or, or a priest or a parent might be able to help bring their children or students along? Because I, I feel like this is something that's glossed over, that's missed, that becomes this background noise. How do we uh, make this very simple? Uh, how do we draw uh, students and young people more into this understanding? Well, there's no substitute for daily prayer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it won't give you the content this way, but at least you're starting to be open to the Spirit's voice, right? Yes. Do you remember one of the first days of his pontificate when um, Cardinal Bergoglio walked up into the Vatican apartment and he said, I heard a voice say, Jorge, it would be bad for you to live here. Oh, is right? that right? And CNN reported, I think, that he was schizophrenic. He's hearing voices. Oh, but that's precisely what we believe happens at baptism. The Holy Spirit starts to speak to us. And our world is so loud with cell phones and internet, and we have to be intentionally purposefully silent each day. Yeah, yeah be and still and know So, so begin to God. hear. Yeah. yeah, so to begin that process of just prayer, just, just entering, because really we're trying to introduce them to a person, but also to that's realize right. that, that the Father loves them in a profound way that's that right. it can't go. You know, the, the kind of prayer Jesus introduces, our Father, you know, it sounds so corporate, and yet he emphasizes the need to go off into your own closet, you know. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, it's more intensely individualistic than prayer had been up until then, but it is also intrinsically and radically corporate because it's always our Father, it's not just mine. And, and, and so I think the, the idea that, you know, I don't have trouble as a father and as a Christian thinking of my children as God's children. But what this prayer has got to do is transform my view of everyone else as God's children, as mm -hmm. siblings of ours, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I think in the process, we allow prayer to kind of set us on fire so that, you know, it isn't just a fire that burns alone with God. It's a fire, you know, it reminds me of Spurgeon, if you want to attract a crowd, set yourself ablaze. You know, the more we are allowed to become 
you know, like Christ, the more people are going to be drawn to the light. That's right. And I think of the people who made a decisive difference in my life and, and how they weren't performing on stage. That's right. They were really presenting themselves to God as, 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 a, as a son That's or right. a daughter. And it's like, whoa, it's, it's not one or the other, it's both, and it's coordinated. Yeah. Well, part of the deifying metaphor is becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, First Corinthians. Right. And part of the temple life was conviviality. The Jews like to gather. Yeah. And I notice the people that I understand to be deified are the kind of people that you want to be around. They make yeah. you feel good. They well, put I mean, you with the center of conversation. I, I, Augustine says that he comes not only to vivify us, but to deify, deify us. Yeah. But, yeah. but vivify too. That's right. right. To That's make right. us more real, more alive, so that he can apotheosize us. That's right. Yeah. I mean, God has a big game plan in mind here. And the nice thing about about that hendiades, the, the vivify and deify, is that there's nothing outside the Father's ken, right? The, he's not just for Sunday morning, he's not just for mass, he's not just for the church, he's in our studies, he's in our relationships, he's in our f- enjoyment of food right. and, yep. and wine and golf and all the things that make right. the human heart alive, yeah. he's yeah. there. And, and that, that has a huge impact when we talk about the new evangelization. If we're talking yeah. about vivifying and deifying, I mean, that's the, that's the crux. It's about trying to, you know, draw in by exactly. Christ's life within you, others to experience the life exactly. and the, the family of Christ. And I think St. Augustine is the saint of the new evangelization, that mm-hmm. kind of the old Christian world is gone. Right. Where we evangelize now is that restlessness of the human heart, yeah. that everybody wants to know they matter. And that's precisely, I think, what Augustine Well, it, it is uh, interesting that in the council documents, after John and Paul, Augustine yeah. uh, has the greatest possible uh, prominence. Yeah, I imagine that's true in the catechism, too. I'm not yeah. sure I haven't sure. noted that. And, and there's a yeah. sense in which the birth of, of eminence as a method uh, begins with Augustine because he, he exhorts us to retreat into the self, the sanctuary right. of yourself. And there you find God who's more present to you than you, are, you are to, to yourself. yourself. And the soul now becomes the stage on which you encounter the Lord, right? Yeah. And you see that. I mean, this is why as a Jesuit, making that daily examination of conscience, praying over my feelings and experiences is very Augustinian. You know, my, my son is doing his dissertation on Aquinas, you know, and a lot of people say, well, it's Aquinas now, not Augustine. But what he's focusing on is how Augustinian Aquinas yeah. is yeah. and how you can't really grasp what Thomas is getting at unless you recognize not only how many times he's quoting, but how deeply dependent even when he's not quoting. Exactly. But Augustine is likewise dependent upon, you know, the New Testament. But I would say especially Paul and mm-hmm. John, as I was saying at the beginning of the program. I mean. And Irenaeus and Hillary. That's I mean, right. Yeah. It's a living tradition. It it's, is. It's, it's a river that flows into the present. Yeah. yeah. It's a powerful well that we need to drink deeply of. I mean, to really appreciate this. <laughs> it's a fire hose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the, the early fathers just had so much beauty that we're recapturing, rekindling now. Exactly. And, and, and what else can we do? How else can we bring this? Well, to thank God they knew how to write. I yeah. mean, there are books out there and there are homilies and there are things that we can all, if we take the time again, it's a matter of having a priority. It's like any relationship. And I think many Christians think of their spiritual life almost in terms of magic. God will do this. Right. Well, not if you're not responsible and open and showing him that you're desirous of this greater intimacy. One of my colleagues is a professor of catechetics here, and he was sort of drifting off in the early 90s through high school youth ministry outside of the church. And uh, he he just happened to read the catechism. Hmm. The day it came out, he saw in the news the church was out with a catechism, so he went to the local bookstore. We wouldn't carry a Catholic, so he had to find a Catholic bookstore. And uh, he read it, and he, and he was transformed by it. That, and, and in conversations when he came here as a master's student first, I realized he takes things for granted that most Catholics don't realize you know. because he came back through the catechism. Yeah. He's appropriated mm-hmm. it deeply. Mm-hmm. And that's the key, I think. I always tell my students to buy a hardbound copy. They only come out about every 500 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, that is oh, great. My. 
Well, uh, stay with us for the last segment on Franciscan University Presents. Man's intimate relationship with God in the Holy Spirit also enables him to understand himself, his own humanity, in a new way. Thus, that image and likeness of God, which man is from his very beginning, is fully realized. Pope St. John Paul II. My name is Joseph Frelich. I'm a chemistry major, biology minor here at Franciscan University. I love the atmosphere, just completely centered around the Catholic faith. When I play soccer, when I'm in classes, everything is, has that same Catholic attitude. Myself and a few other chemistry majors had the opportunity to work with top scientists in order to combat neglected diseases. I was able to connect my love for chemistry and also my love for mission work by synthesizing chemical compounds. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. According to the witness of the beginning, God in creation has revealed himself as omnipotence, which is love. At the same time, he has revealed to man that, as the image and likeness of his creator, he is called to participate in truth and love. This participation means a life in union with God, who is eternal life. Pope St. John Paul II. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about deification, divine adoption here today. Uh, this is our final segment. Uh, Regis, could yeah. you lead us off? <laughs> Just a, a couple of uh, loose ends uh, that, that I hope will take us right to the heart of the matter. Uh, this business about a temple becoming a temple of, uh, of the spirit. Uh, I'm reminded of a Buddhist uh, cone, which says the finger that points to the moon is not the moon. The temple is not God, but it's the place where God dwells. So we're not just pointing to God. God somehow dwells within that temple. And, and the other uh, uh, theme is the Father. I was, I was so uh, impressed by what, what you said regarding uh, Pope Benedict, that all of Christianity comes back to the Father. And it reminded me of, of instructions that I had been given over the years by Father Peter Cameron. I've been oh, writing sure. meditations oh, yeah. uh, for the Lenten and uh, Advent uh, companion pieces. And he always said, the prayer that you compose has got to be addressed to the Father. Uh, you don't address it to Jesus or the Spirit, but mm -hmm. the Father, because Jesus introduces us to the Father. And, and then I, I was reminded of, of Pagui, Charles Pagui, the great Catholic poet of France, who said that it was Jesus who invented the Our Father, which means from now on, God the Father can only see us through the lens of the Son and this prayer. It sort of confines the Father to be exclusively loving, not just but merciful, it confines forgiving. The Father, comforts me. I tell Isn't that amazing yeah. stuff? I mean, he's not. He, I mean, he can certainly be stern, you know, Jehovah, but he comes across as a lover, uh, a father, who delights uh, in, in dispensing forgiveness to his children. Luke 12, 32, it pleases the father to give you the kingdom. He wants to console us. He wants to bless us. But we don't want to be recipients. It's easier yeah. for us to give gifts than receive them. I know. So uh, the, the, the children of Thomas More like to irritate their father because his forgiveness was so generous, uh, so magnanimous. I mean, God the Father is, is like that, only quite perfectly so. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Regis. Scott? 
You know, I, I really trace my own conversion for the last quarter of a century or more to this discovery of God's fatherhood, you know, and deification as the real gospel, the heart and soul of the good news. You know, I, I think of when I read and your through conversion the, has been the yeast of many others. So thank well, you. Well, thanks be to God. You know, when I read through the Bible, clearly covenant was the key, but I always thought of it as a contract. But once you see it as a family, everything changes. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll make one small adjustment, and everything else was reconfigured. You know, if there's one thing that I would say we should do, we should read, study, and and, and master, it's the catechism. It is the, not instead of the Bible, but really to empower us to get more out of the Bible. Uh, It is the most scripturally saturated catechism you'll find on the planet. Uh, Because it's called a catechism, I find that a lot of our colleagues in theology don't take it seriously. You know, because it's over 500 pages, a lot of lay people don't pick it up, you know. Yeah. But I would say to my colleagues that if any of us had ever written this book and put our name on the cover, overnight we would have become world-renowned theologians for the mastery of synthesis mm. that this achieves. And I would also say to lay people that when you sit down and read this and work it through, you will appropriate the Catholic faith more deeply than any book I could possibly point to. You know, I've also taught at seminaries and I've said to people, you know, if a seminarian doesn't know the catechism and has straight A's, hold him back a year. If this guy's got C pluses, but he's mastered the catechism, you could ordain him tomorrow. I mean, it really is the key. I think that when you, when you read this, you're gonna grasp the gospel in its integrity. Mm. And you're gonna see at the center deification. Mm. And you're gonna see it not just in the section you know, on the creed or the, uh, the sacraments, but in the commandments and the moral life. And then especially that fourth pillar on prayer, prayer yeah. which is all structured around the Our Father. And then you'll see it like a golden thread that alone holds all of these pearls in place. And not just theoretically, but practically for everyday life as well. So, uh, n- not to take anything away from your book, The One Christ, you know, get I'll that too. I'll the catechism and scripture any day, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, that's what I would say, that this is really going to be, you know, if this is read, renewal will come. If this is ignored and everything else is read, renewal be, will be postponed, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Scott. Father? Well, we've been talking a lot about books and theology, and I tell you, this came into my mind one day walking in Edinburgh, Scotland, and a street preacher, for whom I pray every day, Uh, came up and asked me if I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I do, but I don't want one. And she was taken aback, of course. (laughs) And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, relationship literally means side to side, right? That's where your lats are uh, in Latin. uh, Relationship is side to side. And I said, with Christ, I want something more. I want union. And we talked about this. And in good Protestant fashion, she said, that's not in the Bible. And I said, well, Galatians 2, 19, 20, right? It's no longer (laughs) I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we parted ways, and I went home to the Jesuit community in Edinburgh that night, and as I was making my examination of conscience, that conversation stayed with me, and I couldn't sleep, so I went to the internet and I looked up deification in Augustine. Mm. And I realized it appeared 18 times, and nobody had ever commented on that. But really, it was paying attention to my experience and my desires that I didn't want Christ to be off to the side. I want His words to become mine and His actions to become mine. I think that's the heart of every Christian desire. And so this really deification may sound theologically abstract, but I think it's really the beginning of our our holiness, right? And the end. So I would just encourage anyone who's watching or reading to really pursue this theme and make it part of your understanding of what Jesus wants to do in you. Thank you, Father. Uh, If you've enjoyed today's program, we have a free handout. Uh, This is the introduction to the new book that will be coming out, Called to Be Children of God. You can get this uh, downloading at at faithandreason.com or for just asking. Dr. Hahn wrote the preface, so you have to buy the book to get the whole picture. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, today we've been talking about uh, deification, and, um, and this sometimes might be that theological term that, that keeps us at bay, but ultimately it comes down to a very simple message. It, it was God who first loved us, that, that He stepped down uh, from, from heaven to be one of us, to, to take on our humanity so that He might rise, uh, raise us up uh, to be uh, with Him, to be uh, sons of God. And it is not so much dependent upon us. Uh, it is dependent mostly and almost entirely upon the grace of God. And it is a gift. It is a gift He has offered to us. And we need to take advantage of that. In Romans 8, St. Paul talks about um, that all of creation is waiting with longing for the revelation of the sons of God. Uh, so is our world. Uh, when we speak about the new evangelization, it, it's about us understanding who we are. It's understanding our calling by God from our baptism to become sons of God and not simply slaves, slaves to our sins, slaves to this world. Our world is longing for us to be revealed. Be who you were called to be. Be who you were designed to be and our world will change. Now, as a father, I often think about uh, how can I call myself father knowing who God the Father really is. And the only way that's possible is, is through prayer and for reliance on, on God. Whether we're in um, whatever the relationship might be, it's about allowing Christ and God the Father to, to live and speak and move through us. So, so let's light our own lives on fire by, by really diving into the liturgy and becoming the, the royal priesthood, offering ourselves, modeling, uh, following the model that Christ has given us uh, so that we might give ourselves the self-sacrifice so it might set the world on fire. Uh, I'm so glad you, you joined us today. Uh, this and so much more uh, of uh, Father and, and Scott and Regis are available at faithandreason.com. Uh, this is our uh, opportunity to equip you uh, for the new evangelization. Uh, Franciscan University's mission uh, is to, to form the leaders who will be transforming the world. And we want to invite you to be a part of that mission. Uh, possibly to come to take a class. I know Father McConey is, 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 is taught and uh, others will be uh, uh, teaching here that you will just grow deeper in your faith and your life. Uh, maybe it's through online or distance education. Maybe it's joining us at one of the summer conferences or one of our pilgrimages to holy shrines around the world. Whatever it might be, uh, join us in this great, great mission uh, of evangelizing and transforming the world for Christ. And as we end, Father, could you uh, offer a blessing? Sure, sure. Well, if you get anything from this, God wants to love you. And often in penance, I ask people to pray the prayer, allow you to love me, God. I give you the grace to allow you to love me. So may Almighty God bless you. May you know his love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go in peace. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.